Well, hello, church. I hope you're all well. Uh, it's so great to be together with you again as we worship together, just as if we were present in church, but we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And so I'm so grateful that we have this technology. I'm also grateful that God has preserved all of you, that I understand none of us have been sick in the church. We continue to pray for the world and that the Lord will deliver us from this virus, but he has kept us safe and we really thank him and bless him for that. Anyhow, let's open this service with a prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, thank you, Father, for preserving our church. Thank you for being with us and blessing us in so many ways. And now, Lord, I ask you that the message that you have given us is your message today, inspired by the Holy Spirit for the truth of what we need today. Lord, we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, this is part three of the sermon series that I started on Jesus teaching us to pray. And, and the first two parts really related to the traditional Lord's Prayer and how uh, Jesus spoke about that through the Lord's Prayer. Today, we're going to begin the study of Jesus as our high priest, the once and final and eternal high priest, uh, replacing all of the high priests that were in place during the Old Testament during the Old Covenant, and now Jesus becomes our permanent high priest. And so we're going to focus on that today, really, as we study John chapter 17. Now, we're not going to read all of the verses in John 17, but we're going to pick and choose as I try to put it together uh, for an appropriate sermon. Uh, and so Jesus is going to demonstrate to us today that he is our high priest. We're going to see exactly how he prays for us as he prayed to the Father, uh, over, over that uh, passage shortly before he would be taken and crucified. Uh, and we will see what is important for him and important for us and the lessons that we can draw from that. What an amazing picture this is, that God himself loves us so much that he continues to pray for us. And we know that Jesus is at the right hand of God being our mediator uh, and our substitute in every aspect of our lives praying for our safety, praying for our blessings, praying for our needs. I'm so comforted by this, especially when we go through difficult times like this. Um, and so uh, this is an important study. And so Jesus is telling us here that we should not lose heart when we pray. Jesus demonstrates that we should continue to persevere in our prayer life, even when it appears that our prayers are not being answered. And why is that? because sometimes God has some greater purpose in mind for us uh, rather than a quick solution to our requests. We may be going through temptations or trials and God is trying to strengthen us and trying to teach us uh, through this. And so Jesus tells us to persevere and he does it in such a profound way that he gives us a parable found in Luke chapter 18, verse one. Now, this is one of the parables that disturbed me uh, as a young person. Uh, and I'm sure it disturbs a lot of you also, uh, because Jesus uses kind of an ugly example to make the point. And this is the study of the persistent widow and the unjust judge. And Jesus is giving us this example just to make a juxtaposition between an evil judge who ultimately listens to a persistent widow's request and your godly Father who loves you. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 18, verse 1. 
Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust says, unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. What a, a great passage. And typical of Jesus giving a parable that summarizes an issue in a few short sentences. That's right. Your, your father loves you so much. If earthly people give in to persistent prayers, to, to com, uh, persistent requests, even when they are unjust, uh, people that uh, don't fear God, don't respect God, yet in this particular instance eventually give in because of the persistence of the prayer, how much more will your heavenly Father? And so that to me tells me that God expects us to continue to pray, expects us to be persistent in our prayer life, even when we may not have an understanding of what's going on. And so as we step back now and, and look at this message that relates to the role of Jesus as our high priest, uh, everything really is reflected back to the passage in the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And here's the point. Everything that Jesus does elevates God the Father. Everything that Jesus prays for is to honor God. And that's the ultimate essence of your life. In everything that you do, it should be about honoring God. And we're going to hear about that this morning in this message as Jesus reiterates that prayer for us in our lives, in our prayers, in our worship, everything elevating God. We do this to honor you, Father, in every possible way. And so look at the prayer that Jesus makes in John chapter 17. Uh, and I'm not going to read all the verses because I'm trying to summarize it for use in this sermon. Uh, but look at John 17 verses 1 to 5. And remember, Jesus is now summarizing his earthly ministry. He is praying for his disciples. He is indicating where he is going to go and what his purpose is in, in coming together with his disciples and where he will be with his heavenly father. John chapter 17 verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. Father, the time has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me 
in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And so this becomes an important uh, introduction to this high priestly prayer as Jesus is thanking God that he is protecting him and now asking God to glorify the work of the Lord. Why? Because the glorification of the work of Jesus would ultimately give glory to God. Jesus never sought personal uh, affirmation or glory. It was all reflected glory to God the Father. And so why would he want this? He would want this so that it would be an example uh, to, to the billions of people that would come to follow Christ and be uh, Christians, to recognize that this is how Jesus lived uh, and, and that God had given him authority over all those people that would come uh, to accept him as the Son of God. And so Jesus is going to show us many things, many things uh, in this prayer. He's going to show us that we are to live in dependence upon God the Father. Uh, and he is going to show us that our desire in every aspect of our life is to glorify him. This is a key part of this message. Whatever you do, wherever you go, make certain that in the end, it gives glory to him. Don't in any way try to take God's glory as your glory, uh, but instead reflect it and deflect it to God. And so when we do this, Jesus is demonstrating we are living in accordance with how he told us to live. And so in this prayer, Jesus is preparing to go to the Father. He is preparing to be crucified. He recognizes it is going to be a difficult, horrible death. Yet he is willing to accept it, even though he had made prayers about that. Yet he submitted to the will of God. Why? Because he recognizes that based on that death, in accordance with the will of God the Father before the universe was created and this world was created, that based on that will, billions of Christians would be saved because of that sacrificial death. That is why Jesus could say, nevertheless, Lord, my Father, not my will, but your will. And that's, that's to be the paradigm for us in our lives, even as we go through very difficult times. In this passage, in these verses in John 17, Jesus will also speak about the coming of the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit would be and how the Holy Spirit would teach us. In some later message, we're going to speak about that. Uh, but Jesus is demonstrating here in these verses in the clearest possible way that all of the work that we do on behalf of, the, of God and the kingdom will be ineffective, ineffective unless we ask God to bless it. And let me repeat that. All of the work that we do on behalf of God and the kingdom will be ineffective unless we ask God to do. Now, why can I say that? I can say that because Jesus has said it and because he has demonstrated it, because what he has said and what, what his life shows us is that if we venture out and decide that we're going to do something because it seems like the seemly thing to do or that God would want us to do that and that somehow it would advance the kingdom of God, and yet if we don't ask God's blessing on it or it is not within the will of God, then all it is is the will of man, and the will of man is doomed to failure. Uh, and so in everything we do, in every aspect of our life, before we start it, we ask God to show us his will and to bless it. This becomes 
a critical act of worship in the church. You see this throughout Acts uh, as the, the uh, starting church, really, the nascent church began to step out and how whatever they did, they did based on the will of God and how God blessed them. Now, here's the lesson here, that some people, some people may go and do this without asking for God's blessing, and God may, because of the people that are involved on the other side, who may come to hear the word of God, God may still bless the work, even though he may not bless those who gave the word. How about that? What does that mean? Well, there's a very good example of this uh, found, again, in Matthew chapter uh, 21. Excuse me, Matthew chapter 7, if you would turn to it. And I think this is another example of a passage that disturbed me as a young Christian, uh, and yet I have come to understand what it means, and and perhaps it's something that that disturbs you. Matthew chapter 7, verse uh, 21. And this comes right after Jesus is uh, warning uh, the disciples and his followers about false prophets, people that will come and will appear to be in the way of God, but are not that we need to have discernment through the Holy Spirit about who truly is a, a, a person of God. And so in verse 21, and this is Matthew 7, verse 21, Jesus says as follows, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, Did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Wow, when you just read the words, it seems unduly harsh. And yet you understand, based on the word of God, and especially what Jesus is telling us here about Father hallowing your name, What it means is that there are certain people who advance themselves and use God as a pretext. Uh, My dad used to reference people like this who would basically preach the church and use Jesus instead of preaching Jesus and using the church. Uh, and, And so what it means is that some people decide that they can basically lift themselves up, uh, enhance their own position, perhaps uh, receive gifts and donations about a work that's not really about the work of God, but it's about the work of themselves and the work of men. And so might God still bless some of that work for the sake of the people that hear the gospel? Yes, he might. But does that mean that those people are working in the, in the kingdom of God in accordance with the will of God? Absolutely not. And so you can see this from these verses, and that becomes important for us to understand. Uh, and so God is not going to bless the work that we do unless it is in accord with the will of God, unless it is the will of God, and we've asked him to bless it. Uh, and so this becomes, this underscores this passage. Uh, and so we understand this, that this is how God wants us to live. Uh, And so how it will count, because when we get to heaven, when we have served God, we don't want him to say, I never knew you. Instead, we want him to say, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Uh, And so uh, this becomes important. And, And I say this because, look, the scripture has shown to us 
that God can use all kinds of disparate forces to, prove, to advance his kingdom. He once used a donkey uh, to preach a word of warning to someone. So don't you think that God can even use people that are not faithful to, in other words, to spread the word of God? It is possible. But for us, walking as Christians in the kingdom of God, we want to be working with God the way he wants us to do. And that's why we pray that all the work we do, all of the, the thoughts that we express and the words that we express are fundamentally in accord with him, that he guides us and blesses us in everything that we do, and that that's the nature of our prayers. Multiple times a day, Lord, bless the work that I'm doing. Teach me, Father. Speak through me. Use me in every way, and he will in a very powerful work. And Jesus demonstrated this right up to the time he was on the cross even in multiple expressions on the cross, advancing the work of God. And so why is it that God and Jesus is expressing this thought? Why did Jesus keep saying that he was dependent upon God to bless his work even as he was God himself? Because he's proving to us that it's critical to move in humble dependence on the Father. Let me repeat that. It is critical to act in humble dependence on the Father. Never get to the point where maybe God is blessing something that you're doing in some way that you get to the point and start lifting yourself up and get filled with a false sense of importance. Look at the work that I'm doing. I must be special to God. Look at the way people speak about it. Look at how the kingdom of God seems to be expand, expanding. And let me tell you something. When that happens, you're due for a fall, all right? Because that's pride. Uh, and that's the first sin, and we know where pride comes from. Instead, we want to say that whatever we say, whatever we do, is dependent on God the Father. And because we recognize that unless he blesses it, the work that we do will be in vain. So, getting back to John 17, and Jesus as our high priest, there are fundamental reasons why we bow to God and give him honor. There's fundamental reasons why Jesus did this and why we say, hallowed be thy name. The first one of those is we recognize God is our creator. We are not self-created. We didn't just happen instantaneously. Instead, a universal force, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit created us. Uh, and so he gave us life and breath uh, and essentially what we have to say is, Lord, you are God, I am not. I owe everything that I am to you. I bow to you, Father. I am utterly dependent on you. That's the nature of what should be in your life and the words that you express in your prayer life. Secondly, we bow before God as the moral judge, as the moral lawgiver. Here's the point, folks. In the world today, uh, morality has become relativism. Meaning what? There is no longer uh, understood absolute morality. Instead, it's situational morality. It's relative morality. It's morality defined by the current community standards. God rejects that. There is no relative mor morality. There is only absolute morality. And so we have to recognize that God is the source, the ultimate source of the law. He made it clear to us through the commandments. 
and through all of the laws that he gave the Jewish people. And so if in fact he is the ultimate moral lawgiver, then we need to pray to him and ask for mercy uh, to help us to follow the law and to be responsive to when we break the law uh, and, to, and to forgive us for those errors in our life. Third, why we hallow the name of God. Third, we must bow to him uh, in prayer and in knowledge that he is the one who remains faithful and true through eternity. He never changes. He is immutable. Uh, and you know, in a world in which everything changes instantaneously, how about what we're going through right now? If I had spoken to you two months ago and told you you'd be locked in your house uh, for several months, you would never believe. But that's how this world changes. That's why we live in an evil world. But God never changes. He is there 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. He has demonstrated this for thousands of years. He has demonstrated this in every possible way through the death of Jesus Christ. He is the source of all truth. He is the source of all good. All the blessings in your life, it comes from God. And so what we need to do is to thank him for the gift of Christ, to thank him for the understanding of truth, to thank him that he has given us the light and that we can understand the, live, the difference between light and darkness and that our responsibility is to spread light through this work, through Jesus Christ. And so here's the point. We have to recognize that without his work and without uh, his blessing, everything that we do is ultimately doomed to failure. Uh, and this becomes important and it puts our work in context. Turn to Psalm 127. Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those that he loves. What a great passage. So unless God is blessing your work, Everything that you're doing is in vain. He builds the city, and those that try to build it without him are in vain. He watches over the city, and, and anybody who else terms their desire to watch over it is, is doomed to fail. Uh, even if you, you, you work hard, you get up early, and you work all day, and you work till late at night, your work is doomed to fail unless you recognize that God has to bless it. So this becomes important. And so in John chapter 17, in this high priestly prayer of Jesus, we see Jesus praying now for his disciples and praying for us today. Uh, and so I'd like you to turn to John 17, uh, beginning with verse 14, uh, and read along with me and, as, as we do this. John 17, beginning with verse 14. Well, we'll start with 13. I am coming to you now, and he's speaking to the Father. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. 
As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they may too be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their uh, message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. In them and you and me, may, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now understand how this prayer is, how great this prayer is. Because Jesus is saying, Lord, they're going to stay in the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but protect them, Father, even as they are in the world. Protect them from evil. Be with them. And Lord, as you have sanctified me, sanctify them. Let them understand the nature of the truth of what we're involved in. And unify them. And this becomes an important message. Unity, Lord. Unite them together so that they may be together as one. What does that mean? That we are not lone rangers. We don't operate as lone rangers. Instead, we operate as part of the body of Christ, part of the church universal. And so that's what we are, and you see it in our own church here. We are unified as a church. There's no one person that says, I have to stand alone uh, that on top of everything else. And instead, we support each other. All of the ministries are inextricably linked together to advance the kingdom of God. That's how Jesus wants us to do. That's why we send out the prayer list, so that when you get the prayer list, you pray for people in need. This is what God wants us to do. And in this prayer, he's also asking God that he eventually bring them all to be with them in heaven, that they can be with the Father and the Son together in heaven. And so what you see here is Jesus effectively praying for what I call soul prosperity. He's not asking for wealth uh, or for all kinds of power in this world or all kinds of advantage. He's not asking for that. Instead, he's asking that God prospers their spirit and their souls in this world in a powerful way. Uh, and this becomes a lesson for us as to what truly is important. Uh, and so he is re obviously returning to the Father, yet even as he is about to return to the Father, he is recommitting those who are with him to God themselves, asking that God protect them. And how that will take place is that Jesus will pray for them at the right hand of God, the Father will acknowledge those prayers, and the Holy Spirit will be with us and, effect and effectively will effectuate all those prayers. And so I want you to think of Jesus as the great high priest uh, standing before the Father at the right hand of God as our substitute, as our mediator, as our advocate, as our high priest. Can you imagine that God himself would do this uh, and that in everything we do, all of our worship is all predicated on Jesus because Jesus is the high priest demonstrating for us exactly how we ought to worship God. And if you want to get a sense of that role for Jesus as the high priest, turn to Hebrews chapter 7, if you would. Hebrews chapter 7, uh, beginning with uh, uh, verse, uh, let's begin with verse 21. And this refers to Jesus. 
But he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. He always lives to intercede for us in every way as the great and eternal high priest, the once and for all, unchangeable, immutable, standing there before God, praying for you right now with your needs, whether they're spoken or unspoken. He's praying for you. Can you imagine that Jesus Christ, God himself, the savior of this world, is praying for you? That's the message of, of that I want to deliver to you today, to understand how great this is that we're Christians, what God has given us uh, through our Christ. And so here's the point uh, when we do this. Look, what, not only do we pray for ourselves, but we pray for others. That's part of our role, just as Jesus is praying for us and for others. And so we have a critical responsibility when you get that prayer list. You need to look at that prayer list and have your heart touched and pray for them. I've just received a letter uh, this morning from a gentleman in California, uh, a, a person who's, who came from another country uh, and wrote me a note uh, and, who is obviously a very humble person uh, and a, a person who's being tormented by gangs. Can you imagine gangs and asking God to protect him from from uh, gangland uh, people. Think of how God has blessed you where you are here, that there are Christians out there who suffer these kinds of vicissitudes of evil. God has blessed us greatly, but that doesn't lessen our responsibility to pray with them. And I did this morning. I took that letter and I prayed for this man and I wrote him because I wanted him to know that there are people far away from him on the other side of the United States that recognize what he's going through and we bow before the throne of God because this is what God has honored us to do. This is our role. And so the other point of this priestly prayer here is that Jesus says in this prayer that not one would be lost. And we're going to preach about this in another message about eternal security. But that's what Jesus is praying to God, that as he leaves, even though he was there physically present to protect the disciples, that as time would go on and the church would expand, that, that those who became united with him, became united with the body of Christ, none would be lost. And I want to assure you of that, that when you come to Christ and you make that decision, no one, no power, no principality will ever take you out of the hand of God. And so I want you to understand this. And I want you also to look at Proverbs chapter 18, if you would, please. Proverbs 18, verse 10. And this is how I want you to think about this as we bring this message to a close. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Listen. I know we're going through difficult times. I know that you're being stressed. I know that it's hard to be alone, but you have God with you. That even in your home, as you reach out to pray, you speak to your mediator, your advocate, 
your counselor, sitting there with God, and he hears that prayer. He died for you, and I want you to know that, and that he tells you that not one of us would be lost. And so we come to God, and as we come to him, he is a strong tower, and none of us, none of us will be lost. None of us will be harmed, but he will protect you. That's the message here today. The role of Jesus as our high priest. He's praying for you today. And we're going to continue this message next week as we drill down on the specific prayers that he makes as, the, as our high priest and what we can learn from them. I think this is a very timely sermon series. Yes, we're under attack. Yes, this is evil. Yes, we're locked in by ourselves. Yes, we can't get together in church and be together in church. But here's the thing. God has provided a way that we can worship him in spirit and in truth. And so I hope this message is touching your heart and that you understand that God is, Jesus is your great high priest and that you bow before the throne of God, recognizing all he has done, all of the blessings that he has given you and that he will never leave you. He is unchangeable. He is immutable. He is faithful to the end of time and nothing, nothing can ever change that. Let's close, church. In prayer, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this message. I thank you for Christ, Lord. I thank you for everything that you've given us, all the blessings in our lives. Lord, I thank you that you have preserved us. And Lord, I ask you that whatever work we do through our church, through ourselves, that we bow in humility to you, Lord. Let this be your work. Let you bless this work so that at the end of the day, Lord, when we come to see you, your message to us, will be well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. God bless you, church. We love you.